Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary on this Tuesday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Uh, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show today, it is a look at the fantasy football world as we look at the waiver wire ahead of week 10. As if it's already week 10. Plus, we look at the stupid but good fantasy football team from last week. And then we close the show with our continuing coverage of UFC 295, looking at Randy Couture's legacy. Um, the light heavyweight championship of the world is on the line this weekend, um, as well as the interim heavyweight title. Randy Couture was a champion in both weight classes. We need to remind y'all how good he was. Um, as always, subscribe to the channel. Hit like on the uh, the video if you're watching on YouTube. If you are uh, listening on podcast form, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. That stuff really does help out. Okay, so uh, without any further ado, let's get into it with a, a look at fantasy football. <laughs> Okay, um, so week 10. It is crazy to think that we are already at week 10. We're past the halfway point. Waiver wires become very important. Um, so let's get into it. We'll, we'll start at the quarterback position, and it's Taylor Heineke. 12% owned, um, Atlanta going up against Arizona this week. For Atlanta, they have so many weapons on this team. You look at the, the running backs. A lot of people frustrated at Bijan's usage. Well, it's nice to have him if you're a quarterback. Um, Tyler Algier also getting some carries. You look at the... the uh, uh, pass catchers with Drake London, with uh, Kyle Pitch, John Smith has been there as well. This is a great spot for a quarterback to go. Arizona's defense, in very good. Taylor Heineke is okay. Um, so I, I think that this is a, a spot that he can thrive in, and a, a spot that there are going to be some quarterback needy teams out there. Patrick Mahomes is on a bye this week. Um, we've had a ton of quarterbacks get banged up. This is a big time to, to be able to go out. This is, I, I think, the best waiver wire pickup for quarterbacks, um, and I, I don't even think it's that close. So if you are desperate at the quarterback spot, Taylor Heineke, I think, is 100% your guy this week. Um, at running back, there's a couple. Uh, Keaton Mitchell out of Baltimore, he factored into to Baltimore's game plan quite a bit and came up with a, a big showing against Seattle last week. Now, there, it, it's a crowded running back room in Baltimore. There is no question about it. But I don't know if anyone is going, wow, we couldn't possibly take carries away from Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. Keaton Mitchell is someone who I think kind of stood out uh, amongst those running backs. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he came in and actually got a real legitimate look in that Baltimore backfield. So I, I think he is someone that you absolutely should be spending up a bit of fab uh, dollars on and using some waiver priorities on. He is someone who I am quite interested in this week. Also, Ty Chandler. This is a back who I have a lot of confidence in. Um, I, I think he's actually a pretty talented dude. Just 1% owned. Cam Akers is done for the year. So he's the backup now behind Alexander Madison, who hasn't exactly been the most consistent running back of this season. So this is a big spot here for, for Ty Chandler. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily going to put up fantasy gold, but he is going to be a running back who I, I think you're going to want to have in your fold. Um, so that that is my two wide receiver, sorry, my two running back recommendations. At wide receiver, uh, Demario Douglas is 34% owned. He was the number one receiver for the New England Patriots this week. They're going up against the Colts defense. That isn't phenomenal. 
Um, so that this is, I think, someone who it's not often number one wide receivers pop up. And I think the number two receiver in New England is also worth a look in Juju Smith-Schuster. He's had quite a few targets. He had seven targets this last week for New England against Washington. Again, doing that against Indianapolis probably leads to a pretty good day. So I think the two wide receivers out in New England are a couple of guys who you could look at to try to bolster that wide receiver room. At tight end, it's Luke Musgrave. The options out there aren't great. Um, he is... I believe 22% owned, if I can read my own printing. Um, he's got a bunch of targets. He, he gets into the end zone last week, but it's pretty consistently around five targets a week for this kid. So it's not a great offense. Um, Christian Watson banged up again. That There's an opportunity there for him. So maybe there's something, but yeah, tight end, it's not great. And the streaming defense this week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Tennessee Titans. Will Levis, not as sterling a performance, but it, he was fine. Like from a... A real football standpoint, he was fine. But for fantasy purposes, Tampa Bay's defense may have a pretty good day against Tennessee. And again, there just aren't a lot of streaming defense options that are available out there this season, or this week, sorry, for um, for defenses. So that is, um, or those are, sorry, some of the waiver wire targets I am looking at here this week. Now, each week, I remind everyone how cruel fantasy football can be. We, we put in all the work here this offseason with 12 mock drafts, a whole bunch of research done um, by draft kits, all, all this research stuff. And sometimes bad players just end up having good days, and that's what it ends up being. So each week, I'm going through the stupid but good fantasy football team, and this week's I think is the best we've had so far. At quarterback, 17% owned. Didn't even start the game, but Josh Dobbs gets 24.92 fantasy points. At running back, Keaton Mitchell, um, coming into this one at 6% owned, 19.4 fantasy points. Are you kidding me? Um, Kenneth Gainwell, 28% owned, which means 28% of owners forgot they had Kenneth Gainwell, and he puts up 8.3 fantasy points. At wide receiver, Noah Brown, who I assure you I've never heard of before, had 2% two, um, 2 owned, 21.3 fantasy points. Um, Jalen Tolbert of the Dallas Cowboys, 0% owned, 10.9 points, and here's where it gets crazy. Kate Otten, the tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 5% owned, 17 fantasy points. Jonu Smith, 28% owned, 16 fantasy points. On defense, the Indianapolis Colts, 26% owned, matched that with 26 fantasy points. And Chase, McLa uh, Chase McLaughlin, uh, kicker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just 1% owned, 16 fantasy points. This team that had no one over 30% owned puts up 159.82 fantasy points. This is a cruel, cruel game that we all play. But it's still fun. So there you go. There is the, uh, the, the cruel fantasy football world, the stupid, good fantasy football team this week. Let's get in some fight talk. <laughs> The heavyweight and light heavyweight championships are on the line at UFC 295 this weekend, and so I thought it would be a good time to look at a legacy that combines both of those belts. Now, we've had a couple um, over the years, right? Most recently, John Jones. He formerly the light heavyweight champion a number of times. Um, currently, the heavyweight champion was supposed to be fighting on this card, and he's not. His longtime rival, Daniel Cormier, reached that milestone first of being a light heavyweight and heavyweight champion in the UFC. 
uh, but he wasn't the first to do that. That is Randy Couture, and today we are looking at Randy Couture's legacy. Um, Randy Couture was born in Everett, Washington on June 22nd, 1963. The natural uh, journey, uh, the natural, sorry, his journey into combat sports began, obviously, if you've watched him, you know, with a foundation in wrestling. He wrestled at Alderwood Middle School in Linwood, Washington, then moved on to Linwood High School, where he won a state championship during his senior year in wrestling. He served in the U.S. Army from 1982 to 1988. This is also where the Captain America thing came in, um, attending, or, sorry, attaining the rank of sergeant in the 101st Airborne, where he wrestled and did a little bit of boxing. Upon discharge, Couture became a three-time Olympic team alternate in 1988, 1992, and 1996. He was a semi-finalist at the 2000 Olympic Trials. He's a three-time Division I All-American and a two-time NCAA Division I runner-up. Um... If, if you watched his career, you knew that the wrestling base was certainly the, the strength of Randy Couture. And that was something that was big. Um, I mean, look, it's always been big. As long as this sport has been a sport, that wrestling base has kind of been the, the strongest foundation that one can get. But especially early, where Mark Coleman established like the, the king of ground and pound and what he was able to do. Randy Couture, I think, is someone who has been able to, to establish that as well. Um, Couture's fighting career began in the UFC. His first professional mixed martial arts fight was at UFC 13 in 1997, and he quickly established himself as a formidable competitor by defeating Tony Holm. He uh, quickly gained a recognition for his wrestling skills, tenacity, and adaptability. Um, he continued to compete in the UFC and other organizations around the world, really establishing himself as uh, a true pioneer of this sport. He won the UFC Heavyweight Championship in his fourth fight, helping to establish uh, the credibility of the Heavyweight Championship early in his career. His fighting style, which combined clinch and ground and pound techniques with his wrestling ability, was instrumental in his success. He used his wrestling skills to execute takedowns, establish top position, and just dominate guys. He was also really good at what was, um, and still kind of is, but you don't hear it referred to as much, um, but dirty boxing. Getting guys up in the clinch, up on the wall, and just beating the bejesus out of them. Um... But it was it was that type of a style that kind of led him to, to victories, a big one, over Vitor Belfort in his third professional fight at UFC 15, leading up to his heavyweight championship win at UFC Japan over Maurice Smith. And from there, he would carry it on. There was a lot that would go on with Randy Couture. Um, he defeats Maurice Smith. But then he has to vacate the title because of a contract dispute. But then he comes back, Randy Couture taking on Pedro Hizzo with Couture defending the heavyweight championship against the heavy-handed Brazilian striker Pedro Hizzo. Um, th this is one of the like early great heavyweights in mixed martial arts. Pedro Hizzo, a lot of people very high on him. Randy Couture just absolutely controlled him. Um, and that this was one of the fights that, that really highlighted his ability to neutralize dangerous strikers with that wrestling. One of the big marquee fights in Randy Couture's career, and really one of the, um, I guess, rivalries that would define his legacy, starts in 2003. Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz had just an absolute blood feud, and they were set to fight. But then, uh, wouldn't you know it, <clears throat> excuse me. 
<laughs> I get choked up thinking about it. But wouldn't you know it, uh, Tito Ortiz has to pull out. So instead, Randy Couture moves down to 205 pounds to take on the Iceman Chuck Liddell, sparking, I would say, the biggest rivalry of Randy Couture's career, the first real big important rivalry in the, the UFC. Um, Liddell Ortiz was certainly there as well, but Couture Liddell, like they're the coaches on the Ultimate Fighter season one. The, this is the rivalry that I think defines Randy Couture's career. And it starts with an improbable win at UFC 43. He becomes the first fighter in UFC history to win titles in two different weight classes. He then drives it home with a win over Tito Ortiz at UFC 44. It was significant for a number of different reasons. Um, first, it was a major milestone for Randy Couture as he's able to, to unify these belts. Because um, I believe that fight, um, the, the Liddell one, was for the interim light heavyweight championship. He goes out and unifies them at UFC 44 with a dominant performance over Tito Ortiz. Uh, this achievement further solidified Couture's status as one of the most accomplished and versatile fighters in the history of the UFC. It's also significant in terms of the narrative it created within the UFC. Prior to the bout, Ortiz had been on a six-fight winning streak and was considered one of the most dominant fighters in the UFC. However, Couture's victory over Ortiz not only ended this streak, but also demonstrated that Couture, despite advancing in age was still a formidable competitor and he big brothered Tito Ortiz there was a point at the end where Ortiz's camp thought he was tamp or was saying he was tapping because Couture just pats him on the butt as he's just dominating this guy who's supposed to be like one of the real dominant stars of the the early Zufa days of the ultimate fighting championship and Couture just dummied him um it, it was a major upset and just uh, again further solidified the skills and the resilience uh, of Randy Couture and made him one of the, the first really big fan favorites. Like It was him and Chuck Liddell um, for the, this Zufa era in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and he became one of the, the faces of the, the UFC. Now, after this, um, in the, the second bout, it's Couture against Chuck Liddell. Um, it doesn't go Randy Couture's way as Chuck Liddell ends up getting the, the victory. That This is one of the most iconic trilogies in MMA history. One of the first real iconic trilogies, for sure, in the history of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. As these two, they're, like I said, coaches on the Ultimate Fighter. The light heavyweight division has kind of always been the, the, the shining light for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, and it started with this. It started with these three guys, with Couture, Ortiz, and Liddell, um, putting on the, these monumental fights and really, really showing what these two, or what these three can really do and what this sport can be. It was an epic trilogy. Um, Liddell ends up getting the better uh, of Randy Couture in it. And then from there... Randy announces his retirement um, from MMA in 2006. There was a lot going on with that, but one of the main reasons behind Couture's initial retirement was a contractual dispute with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Couture had expressed his dissatisfaction, I don't think I'm saying that right, but um, he was upset with his contract, particularly uh, fighter pay, revenue sharing, um, there was some insurance, there was some retirement stuff that he wanted, None of it really gets figured out, quite frankly, with the, the UFC. But this dispute became very public and very contentious. And during this time, another thing Randy Couture really wanted was a fight with Fedor Emelianenko. And this would have been one of the first mega fights in MMA history with um, Fedor dominant over on the pride side, Randy 
former heavyweight champion, uh, like we said, two division weight or two division champion in the the UFC here on uh, stateside, that that would have been an ultimate clash. The UFC was not willing to bend a little bit for Randy Couture, so he just kind of stayed sidelined for a while. But then he comes out of retirement at the age of forty three, and he faces one of the like the the next dominant heavyweight champion in the UFC, Tim Sylvia. Couture was a massive underdog. Tim Sylvia was a massive, massive man. He was the, the unbeatable heavyweight champion at the time. It was Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky. And Couture comes out of retirement. He's 43 years old. And he comes in and in the first minute drops Tim Sylvia. It's still one of the most iconic shots that you'll see um, where Couture drops Sylvia. He goes down. And the whole, my, my dog's barking in the background. I don't know if you can hear. She's so excited about thinking about it. She's going, or the the crowd just rises up all at once on this giant knockdown. And from there, Couture controls basically the rest of the fight. He becomes a heavyweight champion once again, officially solidifying his spot as a legend in this sport. And he would just like further drive that home, defeating Gabriel Gonzaga to to really cement that legacy. That was an interesting one because Gonzaga was kind of supposed to be Mirko Krokop, but Gonzaga shocked the world with the upset there. And then it was like, man, if Gonzaga can knock out Krokop, what's he going to do to Randy Couture? Not a fucking thing is what he could do as Couture gets the, the victory. He would continue to compete at a high level in the UFC, but... He does falter a little bit, losing to, to Brock Lesnar for the heavyweight championship at UFC 91. He would fall again to Antonio Rodrigo Noguera. And it, it was one of, he was one of those guys. When you look back at his career, like he finishes up at 19 and 11. Um, there's a couple memorable ones late. Like he beats Brandon Vera as one last kind of like, this dude still got it. And then Leona Machida with the, the, the crane kick kind of ends it all. And that's the last fight, UFC 129 back in 2011. Um... He finishes his career just 19 and 11, but he, his legacy and his, his accomplishments and what he was able to do as a gigantic underdog and just fearless going in for any challenge. Like, oh, you want me to fight the greatest, one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time in this absolute knockout artist in Chuck Liddell? Yeah, I'll move down 60 pounds in weight classes and fight that guy. Oh, and he won. Oh, well, this guy was the most dominant one. He was the actual champion. Yeah, I beat him too. Tim Sylvia, guys like twice Randy Couture's side. Yeah, I'll fight that guy too. And what Randy Couture did um, was A, kind of continue on that case that you don't just have to be the biggest and the baddest looking to, to be able to win in this sport. Like technique fundamentals do really matter and are very important. Um, it, it was also an inspiring, like if you work hard, you can do whatever. Cause if you, you just see Randy Couture in a, a sweater, you're not going to say, Oh, well that guy's a professional athlete. Now he was in obviously very good physical condition. Um, but he didn't look like that superstar. And another thing about Randy Couture is he kind of shown that this sport was going to be different than boxing because you could still be a big star, a big draw, a champion, still losing fights. Right? Like, in boxing, you lose two fights, your career is basically over. Randy Couture would bounce back from every loss and continue to push forward and continue to show what hard work and dedication really meant. There's that Joe Rogan line where this man's my hero. And I think a lot of people echoed that when he was beating up on, on Tito Ortiz. It's a remarkable career, what he has been able to do. And it really is too bad that he and the Ultimate Fighting Championship are on on the outs because he could be that kind of Captain America like poster child for the Ultimate Fighting Championship today but the, the company and him aren't on the best terms so he but he's done a great job of being that for 
kind of everyone else, right? Like he has popped up on Bellator. He's done uh, commentating for a number of different promotions around the world. He has been a pretty good ambassador for um, for the sport, officially retiring in 2011. Often lauded for his work ethic, adaptability, and longevity in the sport. He was a pioneer of the grinder style, relying on his wrestling and clinch work to wear down his opponents. His success in multiple weight classes and his ability to compete at a high level into his 40s set an early standard for MMA athletes. His legacy extends beyond his fighting career, as he has also worked as a coach, actor, and ambassador for the sport. Beyond the fighting career, Couture made significant contributions to the sport and its community. He has his own chain of gyms, Extreme Couture, which at the time was one of like the marquee gyms and is still a gym to be reckoned with for sure. He had a clothing line, the Extreme Couture Clothing. He also founded and runs the Extreme Couture GI Foundation, which raises awareness and financial support for wounded veterans. Couture has been an advocate for fighters' rights, one of the few fighters uh, who own their own ancillary rights, which it sucks because he's not in the video game, but good for him for, for doing that. Um, that's why he was in the EA game and not the the, the first EA MMA game and not in the, the, the UFC games. Um, he has been someone who I, I think has really set a standard for what MMA fighters could be. And unfortunately, not a lot of people followed it, but th this is, it, it's a remarkable career. It, it features upsets. It features a real grinding, hardworking style. It features him fighting the man and eventually coming back and knocking off the man. Um, it's an incredible legacy and one that I think because of his um, poor relationship with the company, it's not a legacy that I think is going to be remembered for years and years and years and quite frankly, probably isn't already. And that is a real shame. So that's why I wanted to come on here today and just remind y'all that one of the, the first double champs in the UFC was Randy Couture and he was exactly from a fighting standpoint and for some of the things that he stood for out of the cage, a reason why um, we are in a position where we are today and someone who I think probably should have been followed a little bit more than he was in his career. So that is going to do it for uh, today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Like this video, subscribe to the channel. Um, all that stuff really does help out. I greatly appreciate it. And yes, coming up tomorrow, we're going to look at other key fighters on UFC 295, plus look at some of the big fights that were made yesterday in the UFC and give some early breakdowns on that. We're also doing NHL and NBA buy-sell who starts to the season are we buying who starts to the season are we selling thursday um we are going into what is thursday just a sec oh yes ufc goat rankings um that's not going to be controversial at all we're going to rank the greatest of all time in uh, men's ufc we're also it's also nfl power rankings day and um we're going to do a check-in on our um some of our calls for the NFL this year, our win total projections and things like that. Like I said, we're past the halfway of the season, so may as well check in on that. Also, coming up tomorrow, I'm on HN Live four times calling hockey games. Um, I've posted all the times on the Couch Potato Diary Facebook page, so watch for me there. I'm going to be on three times on Thursday, um, twice on Friday, twice on Saturday, once on Sunday. So it's going to be a busy weekend for me. Check me out and find me on social media for all updates on me. Um, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKline. Twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. And you can email this show, CouchPotatoDiary, at Yahoo.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in today and I will talk to you all later. <laughs>